But I want to start you off with a phrase. You ready? Three words. Perspective is power. So Pastor Kyle over at Lincoln Park, he's kind of using this analogy with like a sports analogy, which... I, don't know. I like sports, but we're going to do it a little differently here today, and we are going to talk about the Avengers, okay, doing this a little differently. I want you to raise your hands if you have seen the Avengers movies, in Avengers Infinity War, and then Avengers Endgame. Okay, we got most of you. Um, there will be light spoilers. They might be heavy spoilers, but um, don't worry. It will help us understand God's word. So Avengers Infinity War, one of the greatest movies literally ever made, incredible stuff. At the end of Infinity War, we are left on a major, 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 major cliffhanger, right? Seemingly half the Avengers and a lot of other people die. And the movie ends with Thanos, big purple boy, winning. And I remember I was watching this in the theater at college, and I remember we're watching this and everybody in the theater is just like, what is going on? Because the movie ends. It's one of those times where you're like, there's definitely 20 minutes more, even though it's already been like two and a half hours, but there wasn't. And this movie ends, the credits come with like no music, which was a great artistic decision, and it's over. And I remember everybody in the movie theater is just like, what is going on? What is going to happen? We obviously had a little bit of an idea because these are all like famous actors that they're not all going to die because they're not just going to ruin all that talent pool they have. But our question was, how in the world is this going to turn around? And I remember for the next literally year, all our friend circles, all our table conversations, a lot of like the YouTube space was just filled with theories. What are the Avengers going to do? How are they going to get out of this? What's going to happen? Because we left that movie having no idea how they were going to win. But then a year later, a new movie comes out. This movie is called Avengers Endgame. Once again, amazing. And we found out as we watched that the Avengers win, right? We knew they probably would, but we didn't know how. We knew that the Avengers won, that the heroes came back to life. They weren't dusty anymore. They were themselves. And that it all resolves itself at the end of the movie. Wipe the sweat away. We know how it ends. But now, if me and my wife were like, hey, babe, let's have a very romantic night. We're going to watch Avengers Infinity War together in the basement while the kids go to bed. If I turn that on and I sit back, pull my arm around her, when I'm watching Avengers Infinity War, especially when I get to the end of the movie, I'm not stressing about it. I don't need to question. I don't need to sit with my wife and be like, I wonder how this is going to end. Are they going to win? Would they really kill off Spider-Man after only one movie? I don't need to worry about it anymore. Because what I have gained by seeing the whole story is the proper perspective. The proper perspective. I know now that Thanos does not win. I know now that Spider-Man does not die. So when I watch Infinity War, which has a very stressful cliffhanger ending, and everybody turns to dust at the end, I now know what it is leading to because I now have that perspective. 
So now when I watch it, I'm not stressed because I know who's going to win. I have that perspective now. And we are going to learn this morning from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians that perspective is our power. And that the Apostle Paul has so much perspective on life and on his relationship with God. And that we as Christians today need that perspective as well. So we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to dive in. This is going to be a very simple message. We're just going to look at this passage from the beginning to the end, looking at Paul's perspective on life, and then ending with some questions of how can we shift our perspective towards thinking of God and thinking of the gospel in our life as a Christian. So I want you to open up to Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I'm starting right here with the first two verses. I'll give you a second to open that up. I kind of just wanted more coffee, but... Perspective. I want you to know, brothers, this is so good, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, being thrown in prison, <laughs> so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Right away, the perspective that he has is powerful. Because if we think about the context of Philippians, right, he's writing this letter. Some of the other letters were more like, stop it, you're being gross, stop following God. But this one is a lot more about affirming them and saying things like, I wish that I was with you because he's writing this book from a prison cell, yet Philippians is known as one of the most joyful books in the entire Bible. Why? Because as we're going to find out, Paul had the proper perspective, and we see that perspective all throughout this letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. So Paul has been imprisoned, like I said, and on the surface level of that, you could say, well, he's not doing well, right? If he's in prison, he's not doing good. He messed up. It's not going the right way. Uh, in our preaching meeting last week, we were looking at pictures of like what the prisons were like. Because you might think of our prisons where it's like, uh, it's obviously not, not great. <laughs> like you don't want to be there. But it's obviously livable. It has a lot of that structure of like a room. Back then, it was like a pit with like dirt. Maybe like a chair and like uh, bars and stuff. So it's like very different, not fun, not very good livable conditions. But like I said, this is such a joyful book. And you might say, his life is not going well. But that's not what Paul would say. Because Paul is plugged into God, because Paul understands the gospel because Paul has regular, intimate time with God, Paul's able to say, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
Because there were two roads that Paul could have taken, right? So instead of getting thrown into prison and Paul looking up to God in his time of prayer and telling God, Lord, you suck. God, how dare you? Why would you forget about me? Why would you fail me? I was doing this for you and you were not looking out for me. And that's how a lot of us approach our times of prayer. And there definitely are times for that sort of prayer of frustration. We see it in the Psalms. But Paul had the perspective where his go-to when something went wrong was not to say, God, you've abandoned me. But instead, Paul looks up at God and says, Lord, this must be part of the plan. So God, I am excited to see what you're going to do with it. That's a perspective that's hard to have. Paul has no doubt in his mind that what has happened to him actually will be a good thing, that God is working. And as we see, as he's writing this letter, he's already seeing fruit. He's already seeing the prison guards and the prisoners coming to Christ. He's already seeing evangelism go through the prison. And does this mean that for us as the everyday believer, that everything that happens, that we always 100% understand God's plan? No. There are so many things that happen where I'm just like, God, I don't really know what you're doing. But instead of going to God and saying, Lord, something hard happened to me, so God, you must not know what you're doing. Instead of that, we can now tell God, Lord, I don't know what you're doing but I trust you, I trust that this will advance the gospel because, Lord, I am here to serve you with joy through this trial. Like watching the first Avengers movie, right? I now know what the ending's gonna be. Like, I have the perspective, so I don't need to get stressed when Thanos punches people, right? Because I know how it's gonna end. And as the Christian, we know that Jesus wins. We know that God is with us, that he is personal to us, and that he has a plan. Paul also knows that the way that he responds to the circumstances that he's in will reflect Christ. Right? If Paul gets thrown in prison and everybody's like, this is the apostle, this is the evangelist, he's always on fire for God. If he gets thrown in there and he just has this horrible attitude... That's not glorifying God, right? But if Paul comes to that prison with this good attitude he has, and like I said before, it doesn't mean he's like, I'm so happy to be here. I love this. Let's do some push-ups and hang out. But if he has this good attitude, if he continues to point others to Christ, if he continues to encourage others through their hard time, he glorifies Christ, and that's what he's saying, that what has happened to me has advanced the gospel. Pastor Kyle always says that he did prison ministry from the inside. <laughs> That's, I don't laugh either when he says it. <laughs> so Christ is being preached, and because of that, Paul rejoices. And that's kind of one of our big keys here, right? The message of Jesus is being spread, and regardless of his circumstances, he is joyful about it. So we're going to look at the next part here, 15 through 18, because something is happening outside the prison that is not reflecting well on Paul, and we see his perspective 
despite that. So let's read. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but they're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Last couple lines there, right? Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So Christ is being preached. The gospel is going out. And because of that, Paul rejoices. The message of Jesus is being spread, and based on what he's telling us, the message of Jesus is being spread at the expense of his image, his integrity, his uh, situation. The message is sometimes being spread, driven by others' selfish ambition, seeking to rub it in Paul's place as he, in, in his face as he's imprisoned. There's almost preachers like, okay, Paul's out of the way. I can get my influence now. Let's jump in here. Let's start preaching. Let's start growing our churches so we can gain power. And yet, even in that, Paul's focus is not on, they're taking my position. They're wrecking my reputation. They're leading my people. But his perspective is to rejoice because God's word is being preached because Jesus is being lifted up, and even in this, people are being saved. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. I think there's definitely something to be said here. There's a lot of us, I've done this many times, where I maybe look at a certain church or a certain pastor, and I just don't really like what they're doing or the things that they're focusing on or how their church does things, right? And I, I definitely think there is 100% we're told in scripture to call out false teaching and if they're not preaching the right gospel to go against that. But there's a lot of churches that are preaching the gospel, maybe just not in the way that I understand or prefer, but Paul's perspective would be to rejoice in that. So I think for a lot of us, and this is kind of what Paul was going through, for a lot of us, maybe our greatest fear is losing maybe our freedom. Um, but I think for others of us, our biggest fear, and I would fall into this, is losing the reputation that you have worked so hard to build. Like I've tried to build a reputation that I love young people and I love Jesus and I want to share the gospel to them. And if that starts, if people start to question that, that's really hard. And that's what's happening to Paul. But we need to ask ourselves this question, the question Paul already had the perspective of. What matters? What truly matters? The image you've created of yourself and your standing or the mission of Jesus Christ to save lost people? And the mission of Jesus Christ is what matters more than what anyone could say about you, what they could do to you, where they could put you. If we have that perspective that Jesus wants to save people and that that's the biggest mission, that's going to change our lives and help us to pursue God even more.
So what matters the most? The mission or your image? As we continue walking through here, we have our next just big, big section. And I'm just going to read essentially 19 through uh, 26 here. And this kind of gives us one of our core uh, passages, essentially in the whole Bible, but especially today. So let's read this. Yes, I'm going to do both of them here. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, Paul. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's keep going here. Um, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Keyword. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So this section starts with kind of one of our main points, one of the main things I want you to walk away with. And this line proves that Paul had the powerful perspective that changes everything for the Christian. First line, yes, and I will rejoice. Right? He's just literally talking about how people are out here slandering him, taking advantage of him, um, taking away his position. And his first line in response is, yes, and I will rejoice. So good. So Paul is saying, essentially, I'm in prison. People are slandering me. I'm not where I thought I would be. I will rejoice. And I want you to know this morning, if you have the right perspective on who God is, on what his mission is, on what love looks like, you can say, yes, and I will rejoice in all circumstances. Yes, and I rejoice is the answer to every what if that we have in life. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let me just go through a couple of them based on kind of Paul's things right here, but also life right now. I want you to think about the hard things going on in your life. Some of you know we are adopting two children, which brings us up to four, ages four and under. So I wrote right away, if I'm up all night with screaming kids, might not be what I thought was going to happen. You know, I should have known. But yes, and I will rejoice. Right, here's some more. If I am betrayed by someone I love, remember this is about having that perspective, yes, and I will rejoice. If I am thrown in prison and persecuted for my faith, yes, and I will rejoice. If my family disowns me because I love Jesus, yes, and I will rejoice. If I lose the job that I love and that provides for my family, 
Yes, and I will rejoice. If someone is gossiping about me or saying things about me like what was happening to Paul, yes, and I will rejoice. If I pour my heart into something, maybe a big event or a big work project, if I give my all to that and it completely flops and I'm not recognized for it, it doesn't bring success, yes, and I will rejoice. And you can add whatever situation you are going through. If you have the perspective that God is in charge, that your victory is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can say, yes, and I will rejoice. Is it easy to do? No, but it's worth it. And Paul had that perspective. Paul knew how this story would end and that everything that Paul was doing for the gospel and the advancement of the gospel was worth it. And he knew that the way that he reacted to those circumstances in his life often determined the witness that he had for the gospel. So the big question we have is, okay, Paul had the perspective. He knew the end of the story. He had the perspective to say, yes, and I will rejoice. But how did he get there? What was inside of him that allowed him to be able to get thrown in prison, be slandered, and be able to look up and say, this is for the gospel. Yes, and I will rejoice. Look what's happening. How did he get to that point? What mindset shift, mindset shift helped him to be able to say yes and I we will I will rejoice. And we get that answer in the next section here when we see his main perspective on this. So we're going to read that second part again. Uh, actually no, 21 to 26. Perfect. Um, right before. Let's go. Uh, well, that's actually two. Let's go. Okay. Uh, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul got to the point of having the right perspective and being able to say yes and I rejoice by coming to the realization that to live is Christ and to God die is gain. This is one of the most powerful statements that a person can say and one of the most powerful passages in the Bible because of what it is saying and because of how much faith it takes to be able to say something like that and process both of those things like that. So what does that phrase mean at its core in a basic way? What a perspective, right? If I'm going to live, if I'm going to live, if I'm going to stay alive and keep going, remember, he's in prison, so he's like, they might just execute me tomorrow. Who knows? But if I'm going to live, then it will be for Christ. But if I die, that will be far better for me anyway because I get to go and be with Jesus. So the wording of this is really interesting because if we look back at 22 through 23, this is what he says. 
He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So if I stay alive, fruitful labor. Yet, which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Here's our big part. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Something that's far away is far away. It is far better. And we learn three really important things here. The first is we learn that being alive, if Paul remains alive, being alive means that he is working for God. Right? Doesn't mean he has more time to go see the sights, right? He says, if I stay alive, it is because I'm going to be working for God. He says, it is fruitful labor for me. Because Paul is not wasting his life, right? He's not waiting for something. But Paul is using the life that God has given him every single day that he continues to be alive. He sees that as this opportunity God has given him to share the gospel of Jesus. He has this perspective to know that Paul's life is a life of value, I think so many of us, we don't see the value in our life in part because it's easy to doubt how much God can use us, how much God can change us. And I just want to tell you right now, if you're struggling with this, if you give God the reins of your life, if you wake up every morning and you tell the Lord, God, use me for fruitful labor, God, I will be obedient to what you tell me to do. God, just use me even more. Blow my mind. Give me opportunities to share your love, to help those in need. God, use me. If you do that, you will be absolutely amazed at the ways that you are going to be able to serve, the ways you're going to be able to love others, evangelize, and much more. It's kind of scary, because you're like, God, use me, and then you step outside, and there's someone like crying on the sidewalk. This happened a couple weeks ago. It's amazing. And Paul knows in a humble way that him being alive is growing the church and spreading the gospel. The second big thing that Paul knows in this to live as Christ and die is gain is Paul knows all of this. Paul knows all about his life and the value that God brings it. He knows all that. He knows that he's being used, that the church is being built up through his ministry. Yet Paul still says it would be far better, far better, not just a little bit, far better, to die and be with God. Wow. That's a perspective for sure. And guys, I think there is such a mix of people in the world Right, there are people that love life and do not want to die no matter what. There are people who hate life and really want to die. And then there are a lot kind of in the middle who endure life, the hards and the goods, but they're they're scared to die. Right? They have a lot of questions around that. And Paul gives us this really wise look at life and death which also shows us so much about the perspective that Paul has found in the gospel. He says that the best thing ever will be when we get to die and be with God. 
when we get to die and be with God. So is the focus of what Paul's saying on dying? Is it like, I want to die, I want to die. No, that's not his focus, but the focus is I get to be with God. The focus is a relationship with God. You get to be with God. And as we know from the story of the gospel, our relationship with God was broken because of sin. Sin separated us from him, but now because of the gift that Jesus has given us by dying on the cross, living a perfect life, taking our sins upon himself dying and rising again in victory, now that relationship has been restored. And now, because of the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life in Jesus, we can now go and be with God in a redeemed and a restored relationship with him when we die. And that is far better, right? Being with God forever in a perfect heaven free of sin and disease the heaven jesus is talking about when he says he's going to come back and wipe every tear away and heal the world being with god forever is what every christian should desire more than anything else and then our third one is but paul right but paul had the proper perspective of what was his purpose and plan for the moment. He also had the perspective that eventually he would get to be with God because obviously he believes in the power of the gospel that it's not just if he dies tomorrow that he gets to be with God, but it's just when he dies. But Paul had the perspective that right now, remaining in the flesh, this is from the passage, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Why is Paul supposed to remain alive on the earth? For the people he is serving. He says that I will continue with you. I will keep living, keep serving for your progress. And this is good. Because the primary reason that we are alive on this earth after we are saved by Jesus is to share the gospel and to live out the great commission of making disciples for Christ. And Paul knew that there were still a lot of disciples to make, a lot more disciple-making to do with the early church. Paul knew that it would be greater to go and be with Jesus but Paul knew that Jesus called his followers to make disciples of all the nations. So that is what Paul was planning on doing, staying on the earth and serving the people that God had entrusted him to disciple. But I think what Paul does is he brings up this really, really good tension for every Christian to think about and wrestle with. The tension between these two big forces, life and death. Living in Christ, living is Christ, but dying is gain because we get to be with Christ. And I'm kind of going to hit a bunch of different groups right now. Let me just add some application here. I think there are some of you here in this room that love life a ton and are extremely scared of death. I think this morning you need to be reminded that in death we will be united with the one who defeated death for us. 
Do you truly believe in the promise of heaven and salvation with God in a perfectly restored relationship that's going to be more beautiful than you can ever imagine? We are his bride, and he's coming to take us. I'm excited. Number two, there are some of you here that totally flip side, right? You hate life, and maybe not hate, but you're having a hard time with life, and you are scared, or and you would prefer to die. And maybe you're struggling with that because of hurt in your life, or depression, or mental health. We would love to talk to you and pray with you. Or maybe it's just because you're getting really old, and you feel your body is breaking down, and it's really hard to continue on. As Paul says, the desire to be with God, it's the best desire. It's the best desire. It would be far greater for you to be with God, and you will be with God, I promise, if you're in Christ. You will be with him. But I think this morning you need to be reminded that you are still alive for a reason. That God wants to use you to grow his kingdom and spread the love of Jesus that you are not still alive for an accident, that you are still called to the Great Commission, and God still has ministry for you. You are loved, and God is still with you, but your desires are not bad. And then lastly, I think there are also some of us in this room that don't believe in God at all. And maybe you want to know if God is real, And I want you to know that, that God is real, and that life with God is incredible. It's incredible. Walking with Jesus every day changes everything about everything. But death with God is going to be even more incredible. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, when we're talking about life and death, you either die and you get to be with God forever together in a restored relationship, or you die and you get the opposite. You get to be away from God forever in a broken relationship in hell. And I want you to think deeply about that reality and the situation that you find yourself in today, and I really encourage you to pray, to open your word, to talk to one of us, because life with Christ and our eventual death with Christ is better than anything else you can imagine. And I want you to know about the beauty and the love of the gospel and how much Jesus gave for you. So as we kind of just start nearing the end of this, this passage in Philippians, it's so helpful, it's so challenging, it's so provoking for us. And I want everyone in this room to have the perspective that Paul has. Paul knows that God is with him in every circumstance. That even in the bad, that God can use that to increase his church and spread his message, and Paul can be a witness. We also learn from Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That being united with God in death will be the best thing to ever happen to us, but that in life, we're also united with him. Right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have our relationship with the Father. We have the mission of Jesus, and he has work for us to do on this earth for his glory. So as we finish, I just want to leave you with these three really important questions for you to ask. I want you to write these down, and I want you to 
answer them throughout the week in your quiet time with God. Just ask God to help you answer these questions, and then I hope that they will help you to grow. I encourage you, Philippians is not long. Go in there, read that whole thing. Note everything you can see about Paul's perspective on life. So three questions. What is my perspective on my circumstances? So you look at where you're at in your life right now, and what do you see? Do you feel like Paul could have felt when he looked up and said, God, my ministry must be horrible because now I'm in prison? Or do you look at your circumstances and say, God, I don't really know what you're going to do, but you are going to advance your gospel because you are faithful, because you are still with me, because I have the Holy Spirit within me. So what is my perspective on my circumstances? Number two, am I able to say, yes, and I will rejoice even in hard times? Does my perspective that God is with me, that I will be with him forever, allow me to rejoice in those hard times like Paul was able to do in prison, not even knowing how much longer he would survive? And then lastly, what do I think of when I process, when I process in my brain, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Remember, I kind of talked to those different groups of people. Do you love life and are scared of death? Do you hate life and are uh, inviting that? Like, where are you at in that? And what can you learn from Philippians? So I like to ask these questions just to help you and the Lord process together. I pray that you just have some good intimate time with him this um, week as you process these questions. So thank you guys once again. I pray that Philippians is encouraging to you. I'm so excited to go and be with Jesus someday, but I'm also excited what he's going to do, to see what he's going to do while we're alive and as we serve him.